Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball. 52 weeks out of the year, there is no offseason for your pal Sully. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm really making this as awkward an intro as I possibly can. Recording this on the 13th day of July 2017. It is almost the day we stormed the Bastille, but I'm not recording this outside the Bastille. I'm recording this Sully Baseball's studio. Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey, everyone, you know what happens, right? By the time you're listening, we're about ready to kick off part two of the season. Now, it's not officially part two of the season. We've actually played more than half of the year. More than half of the year is in the can. And we have, we can take a look, and this is kind of my way of, you know, looking forward and say, okay, what's going to happen now? We got, we, 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 what have we learned? And what do we, what do we have looking forward? Well, I'll tell you one thing we've learned. One thing we've really learned is that one of the teams that probably is not going to make it in the American League, because the American League is really bunched together, is super bunched together. And with so many teams, you know, within a stone's throw. I mean, by that I say, you know, three or four games. Now, there's a bunch of there's a, within three or four games of a playoff spot. You have here here are the teams that are not within three or four games of a playoff spot right now in the American League. The Toronto Blue Jays, just barely, they're five games out, and actually. It wouldn't surprise me if they have a good second half of possible game. But I was going to say, Toronto, Detroit, Chicago, Oakland. Four teams. Four teams in the entire American League are sellers right now. And you can make the argument that Toronto is really only one good weekend away from jumping right back in this thing. So let's just say Detroit, Chicago, and Oakland are the only teams that are Really kind of out of it right now. Now, what we know about that is that probably should cost. I think I think it should cost Brad Osmus's job. Now, you don't want to call for someone's job. No, get someone better to do that. They're a team with with a huge payroll, gigantic stars, and this is their chance. And you know they've got to have. You know, I mean, look at you can't fire the whole team. And Osmus, who inherited a team that was a, you know, you, you pencil them in for the playoffs every year. They got to the playoffs his first year then, and then it's since the gobbledygook. You can't have a team with, with Verlander and Miguel Cabrera and J.D. Martinez and, you know, stars on that team. It's like, ah, man, we can't make it in a mediocre American league. This is a mediocre American league. You got the three teams at the top of their divisions. Really, you you only have two teams that are, you know, very good so far. You got the Astros who are just running away with the West. And you have the Red Sox, who I'm a Red Sox fan, I can tell you, this is not a juggernaut team. They happen to be fifty and thirty nine. They have to be on a really good pace, you know, to win ninety some odd games this year, and they have a three and a half game lead on the Yankees, who seem to be in a free fall, and the Rays, who are very difficult to predict. So it looks like everyone's predictions of the Red Sox winning the East are going to be there. I I picked Seattle to win the West because I didn't trust Houston. That turned out to be a really shitty prediction on my part 
because here we are, we are at the beyond the halfway mark of the season, and the Astros haven't lost 30 games yet. They're 16 29. And so you look at this, you have everyone else, even the Indians, who I still think are going to win the American League pennant because I think they're going to win the division and I think they're going to be a very hard team to beat in the postseason. But they're 47 and 7, and 47 and 40. Man, they'd really be bad if they were 47 and 70 and leading the league. No, they're 47 and 40. They're seven games above 500. They're only three games ahead of the Minnesota Twins in the loss column. You have Kansas City, who are supposed to be tanking this year. They lost their last three games. They're only a game and a half out of a wild card spot right now. This is a mediocre American League. The Angels have played more than half their games. They're sub-500, and they haven't had Mike Trout for like a month and a half or something like that, and they're only three games out of a postseason spot. The Mariners are only four games out of a postseason spot, and they're four games under 500. The reason I'm bringing all this up is the Tigers are 39 and 48. They're nine games under 500 in a mediocre American league. That's unacceptable if you are running the Tigers. And that's you got to take a good long look at the Detroit Tigers and say, well, what the hell are we going to do? You can't win it for Mr. I anymore. Do you know why? He's mulch. He's gone. He's gone, gone, gone. All due respect, but he's not there anymore. In case you're wondering, he's gone. So the whole notion of we're going to win a championship for everything Mike Gillich did for the city of Detroit is not there. I know his sons and his family are running it. It's always a catastrophe when the children run it. You got Justin Upton, you got Michael Fulmer. You know, I mean, Cabrera's not having a great year. Uh, J.D. Martinez, I mean, but Cabrera can obviously break out. But you got J.D. Martinez, you got Victor Martinez. You have, you know, Verlander's not having a great year. Zimmerman's a disaster. You have to, what do you have to do right now? Right flipping now. Everyone not named Michael Fulmer, you gotta you gotta throw him into the throw him into the dumpster right now. The thing about Miguel Cabrera and Justin Verlander have gigantic contracts. Now, how much does how much is I'm gonna go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. And is it Verlander or Verlander? Verlander. Thank you. I don't know who corrected me. How much is left on his contract? Hey, boy, he's got three years left at 28 million tomatoes. He's got a vesting option for the 2020 season, which would probably kick in if he got traded. Okay, that's a tough contract to move. Let's go to Miguel Cabrera, who's 34 years old, um, is coming off a brilliant, you know, he had another wonderful season last year, you know, MVP candidate year in and year out. Not quite an MVP candidate this year, but, you know, could turn it around. How many more years does he have left on his contract? Oh, my God. His contract goes through 46-21. He's got 2,600 more years left of his contract. He's signed through 2025. Good God. What are they doing with this contract? One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. You know, because if they trade them, these these vesting options will kick in, and they'll probably kick in anyway. Eight years. Oh my God. 
well, then this is it. Then, you know, this is this is Mr. I's generosity. Mr. Illich said, I don't want to see the Detroit Tigers without Miguel Cabrera and Justin Verlander. And guess what? You're not going to. Um, I, I actually think both Cabrera and Verlander would make really good additions to a contending team, but those costs are so prohibitive. I mean, they would have to eat the contract. If you're going to eat the contract, you almost have to just keep them. You almost have to say, we got to rebuild this team, and rest assured, Tiger fans, the two names you know, Cabrera and Verlander, are going to be still there. I mean, that's kind of what you have to do, right? Right? I think so. I think you kind of have to do that. Because everything else, you got to take a good long look at and say, we're not contending. And you look at the age column on some of these players, 35-year-old Ian Kinsler, uh, 29-year-old Justin Upton, 29-year-old J.D. Martinez, 38-year-old Victor Martinez, 30-year-old Alex Avila, um, some of the pitchers. I mean, Zimmerman, what a disaster he's been. He's 31 years old, 29-year-old Justin Wilson, uh, 30-year-old Alex Wilson, um, Warwick Sawpaul. Didn't he play Wicket? Didn't he play Willow? So you take a look at this team, and they were built to win a championship. They were going to win a championship for Mr. I. That was it. The team that had lost 119 games in 2003, back in the World Series in 2006, they were going to win it for Mr. I, who believed in Detroit. And they came close. They got into a pair of World Series, and they combined for one win in those two World Series. And they should have won the World Series in 2013. That was the team that should have won with Detroit. Well, Mr. I is dead. And the remnants of his generosity is their two biggest stars are signed there for life. Now, that's going to be really, really good if the Tigers retire their numbers. It'll also be good that if the Tigers rebuild, that they'll have Verlander and Cabrera there, and there'll be remnants. It's like, oh, isn't that great? These two great Detroit Tigers are there for life. Now, if you're going to do that, then what you have to do is look a little bit to the West and their their compadre in the AL West to know what to do. What are you talking about, Sully? Did those words even make sense in that order? They did! And I'll tell you why. What should the Tigers do? They should do, if you're not going to trade Verlander, you're not going to trade Cabrera, because they're untradeable, then you say, we are going to have... In the next three or four years, build a contender where you'll have those two star names, those two future Hall of Famers are going to have their, you know, they'll be on the team. And for nostalgic purposes, they'll be great. But you got to build a new team around them. That means all the names that I just mentioned, every recognizable name has to be traded now. Now, because... There are a bunch of teams in the American League that are within striking distance who might think, oh, we could use a pitcher here, or maybe we could solve Jordan Zimmerman there, or hey, Justin Upton, uh, not the superstar that everyone thought he was, but talented and maybe on the right team. Everyone has got to go, and you get volume, because that's what the White Sox did. And for that matter, that's what the Astros did. 2012, the Astros are terrible. 2013, the Astros are terrible. 2014, eh, the Astros aren't, aren't not good. 2015, they're in the playoffs. 2017, 
they're running away with the American League. And so, that's not that long a turnaround. What the Astros did, they traded everything that wasn't nailed down. Oh, it's terrible. They're not putting a winning product on this field. What a disgrace. Oh my God, they're going to win 100 games this year. White Sox took one look at that and said, F this. We're trading. And you saw what they did. You saw what they did with you know the Chris Sale trade, for example. The Chris Sale trade, they wound up getting uh, uh, Moncada, considered to be one of the best prospects in baseball, if not the best prospect in baseball. He's at AAA. He's 22 years old. He's going to be on the major league roster before the end of the year. He actually played a little bit in the major leagues last year. They got a potential star from them. They also got one of the best pitching prospects in the Red Sox organization, in Michael uh, Kopech, whose name I can't pronounce. He's not exactly lighting the world on fire right now, but he is a, a, a top prospect. And then you have your um, Victor Diaz, another young kid, another young pitcher. Throw him into their system. Then you have Luis Alexander Basabe, who is an outfielder, a young outfielder and talented at that. And then you have Lucas Giolito, who was one of the top prospects in the Nationals organization they got for Adam Eaton. And for that matter, they picked up Reynaldo Lopez, who actually pitched in the postseason for the Nationals last year. Another young pitcher, 23 years old, throw him into their system. And then they just pulled off a trade just this afternoon where they sent Jose Quintana Crosstown to the Cubs. Oh, you don't want to do crosstown trades with the Cubs. It's really dangerous because what if a player... Shut up! You get the best deal you can. And the White Sox got Dylan Cease, who's a, a solid prospect. But more importantly, uh, they picked up... What's his name? The, uh, the young outfielder, uh, Eloy Jimenez. Another Dominican outfielder. Right-handed power hitter. I said another because I mistakenly thought he was from Cuba. He's not from Cuba. They picked up a. They signed a a a young Cuban prospect uh, outfielder. Um, what was his name? What was the name of the young? They they just uh, uh, Luis Robert Luis Robert. So they've not only got a bunch of quantity. They've picked up some of the best prospects of the Red Sox organization, Nationals organization, and the Cubs organization. Each one of those organizations desperate to get back to. Prominence for the Nationals not get back to get there for the first time. The deal already is blown up in the face of the Nationals because it, it the Eaton's gone for the season. We'll see how Quintana works out. But they've they're flushing their system. They don't care. Chris Sale's their biggest star. They got two gigantic players for him. Moncada could be an infielder and their their starting player for a decade if it works out. And the pitcher could work out well, too. They could get one starter in each one of those deals who's under control for a while. Look what's happened over there in, in, uh, in Houston. A lot of those players were from the draft. A bunch of them came over from trades. They didn't have a lot of, you know, not a lot of sentimentality going on there. And what, three or four years later, they got themselves a pennant contender. Tigers have to do that now because of how bunched up the American League is, because there are franchises that have a sense of desperation. There's a sense of desperation to win in Cleveland now. There's a sense of this is our chance in Houston now. There's a chance of we can't 
screw up having the prime of Mike Trout now in the Angels. Who knows what the Yankees are thinking as they fell from you know four games up to three and a half out. You know, there's all these teams that are bunched up, the Twins. And then you see teams like the Nats, like the Dodgers, who realize after all this money, they've got to win now. They've got to win now. And the Brewers and the Cubs, the Brewers are like, can we stun the world? Got a good chance to. We have a real good chance to stun the world. Maybe, just maybe, we should just make a, the big-ass trade right now and try to make it work. You can get people to unload in a sense of desperation. That's exactly what they did with the Nationals, who they thought they had made a deal for a sale. And they basically flipped that same package they were offering for sale for uh, Eaton. And so the White Sox got big players from two organizations instead of just one. Tigers have to do that. You're not winning this year. It's not happening. And you're not moving Cabrera and Verlander. So there's going to be some bad years. So what kind of bad years do you want to have? Do you want to have the bad years where you're, eh, like you have now? Well, maybe, I don't know, eh. And in four years, you're at, eh, I don't know, eh. Or you have a couple crap years. And then you look up and you say, hey, look at this. We're contending again. The L's wide open again. We're contending. Wouldn't it be great to win one for Verlander and for Miguel Cabrera? Yeah, it would. I'm looking at the 2020 season right now for the Tigers or the 2021. They'll still be there. They'll still have a bunch of years left. So it'll be a great moment winning, and you hug Verlander, you hug Cabrera, and say, oh, man, it feels great. These young Tigers and these links to the old Tigers. Boom, boom, boom. If the Tigers had won the World Series in 2013, this wouldn't even be an issue. But they didn't. The Royals would be tearing down their house right now, except the fact that they're only, uh, what did I say before, they're only like a game out of the postseason. Hell, they're only three games out of first place. So the Royals are thinking, oh, hell, this may be our last chance to contend for a while. Let's roll, let's roll down bones. Then call, the, then call them. Don't care if they're within the same division. Don't worry about that. Get the best deal. Get them someone desperate. I'm not a Tiger fan, but, I, you know, I'm a human being. I like the old English D. I'd like to see the Tigers win. There are probably other teams I'd rather see win, but I'd like to see the Tigers win. You know? Mr. I won a bunch of championships with the Red Wings. Never did with them. But you know what? It's too late. He's gone. He's gone. I don't mean to be the one to break the news to you, but he's gone. So we look up and we say, all right, we need to make this sort of move and this sort of teardown of the team because... There's no value in sentimentality. None. Cardinals beat the Tigers in 2006. Red Sox beat the Tigers in 2013. And both of those teams, the Red Sox and the Cardinals, have no sentimentality. And they tore the team down and were contenders again. 
Now, the Cardinals are probably going to miss the postseason this year. Looks like the Red Sox are going to make it. But those organizations stay in it. Yeah, it would have been nice. But, they, you know, look around. Any player, you essentially you say, we're not going to trade Verlander and Cabrera because we can't. And we're not going to trade Fulmer because he's still he's too valuable for this team. Everyone else, bye-bye. Get quantity and quality. Now, as we enter the, the second half of the season, I thought it would be interesting, at this point last year, I was looking at the standings at this point last year, and the Orioles would have won the American League East, and the best record in all of baseball belonged to the San Francisco Giants. Isn't that unbelievable? The Giants looked like they were going to win that division, and, and maybe handily. They had the best record in baseball. They had a five-and-a-half game lead over the Dodgers. Dodgers won that division going away. The Giants had a horrific second half. The Orioles eventually fell back. They became a playoff team, one of the two wildcard teams. And the Red Sox took the leapfrog. Every other division leader, the Indians, the Rangers, Washington, Chicago, were all lined up. The wildcard teams in the National League were the Dodgers, and it would have been a one-game playoff between the Mets and, hold on, the Marlins. Did you remember that? At the All-Star break last year, the Marlins would have been in a position to play a play-in game against the Mets to be a wildcard team. I bet you forgot that. Teams can fall out of it. The only team, let's see, did any team, the wildcard teams in the National League, in the American League would have been the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. So the only team at the All-Star break last year that would have been in a position for at least a play-in game that failed to make the postseason was Miami. Man, it sounds weird. I totally forgot that. And there's one thing to keep in mind. So let's go back the previous year. Let's go back one year. Let's go back to 2015. At that same time, at this date, um, in 2015, the Yankees led the American League East. The, in 2015, the Royals led the Central. The Angels led the West by a half game. The Rangers were six games out. The Angels were in first. The Astros were half a game out. And the Rangers were six games out, four games under 500 with a losing record. This is 2015. The Mets were two games behind the Nationals. The Cardinals were in first. The, the Pirates were two and a half back. And the, the Dodgers and the Giants were, were having at it. Now, of that bunch in 2015, the Nationals did not make the postseason. They were in first place. They did not make the postseason. The Angels were in first place. They did not make the postseason. The Yankees became a wildcard team. You had the Blue Jays were sub-500. They won the division. The Rangers were sub-500. They won their division. Remember that matchup between Toronto and and Texas in the division series, those two teams were sub-500 at the All-Star break. And the Nats looked like they were going to run away with it. Let's go back one more year. 2014. A's fans may not want to hear this. You had the Blue Jays, uh, no, you had uh, uh, Baltimore was in first. They wound up winning the division. 
Detroit was in first by six and a half games over Kansas City. And the A's had the best record in the American League and just looked like they were going to be a juggernaut with a game and a half lead over the Angels. As it turned out, the A's barely sneak, you know, snuck into the American League playoffs, and all the other division leaders held still. Uh, Nats won their division. The Brewers, this I bet you forgot this. Milwaukee was the National League Central leader at this point in 2014. And I guarantee you, you forgot about the Marlins the other year. You forgot that the Blue Jays and Rangers had losing records. You forgot that the Brewers were in first place. A lot can happen in half a season. A lot. And so when you take a look at these standings in the American League and the National League, you know that things can swish around. But I don't think the Tigers should be intoxicated by that. They should take advantage of that. Like, hey, hey, remember uh, remember how the, the Rangers were a sub-500 team? They needed a trade here or there, and boom, look where they went. Look where they went. Well, that could be you. Boom. You filled your farm system up with a bunch of young players. And that's exactly what Detroit has to do, especially when you take a look at these standings right now. I'm, I just want to go back a few years there. Um, let's do a uh, team that should have won. And I think I know the one I'm going to do. The Toronto Blue Jays are a team that I've not done for this series yet. And I've, I've given this some thought. Now, the Toronto Blue Jays have a strange history. Even their, their, their birth was a strange birth. Toronto wanted to have a major league franchise. And they thought they had one with the Giants. The Giants were very unhappy and could not draw in Candlestick Park, which always stunk. And it looked like they had an agreement to have the Giants move from San Francisco to Toronto uh, in the mid-1970s. Right around the same time that Seattle was working out a deal to bring the White Sox and become the Seattle White Sox. Well, when both of those fell through, those cities got mad, lawsuits were threatened, and baseball figured the best way to avoid a lawsuit was to expand, but to not expand in one team in each league because that would cause a big hullabaloo in the schedule forcing interleague play, and we can't have that. So they expanded just the American League into two cities, just two, not a four-team expansion. And by doing so, you had the Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners were born in the same year. The Blue Jays play in Exhibition Stadium, which I've been to, not to see a game. They don't play there anymore, which was kind of a weird place to play baseball. Um, but they were very, very bad, but then started developing a team by the, by the early 80s. Oh, by 83. By 83, they were a winning baseball team. And by 85, their farm system and the fact that they were quick to set up academies and build up a tremendous talent base from the Dominican Republic that they started tapping into talent that a lot of other teams didn't have. The Dodgers did so too. That's why you saw a giant Latin explosion in both Toronto and in Los Angeles. 
And the team became a pennant contender, winning 99 games in 1985. And between 1985 and 1990, the Blue Jays were really the ideal organization. They had insane depth. They had superstars on the team. And, and there seemed to be no end to the superstars who were on the team. There was always a new batch of players who were just coming up. It was like those images of warfare with like the, the Redcoats marching, like, you know, the British Army marching the regulars, and they're just line and line and line of these, these soldiers. And if you shoot one, that soldier would fall. Someone from the next line would run right up and take their place. That's what the Blue Jays felt like. And the one thing they didn't have in that stretch was a pennant. They would get to the postseason or get right down to the last day. But getting over the hump was hard to do. And you looked at the team and they had the greatest, one of the greatest outfields you ever saw, George Bell, Lloyd Mosby, and and Jesse Barfield. You saw great talent in their infield. You know, Tony Fernandez was there. So any combination of Willie Upshaw or John Olrood or Fred McGriff at first base. You had great talent with like Ernie Witt and Pat Borders behind the plate. You had all these young, like just the, the Nelson Lirianos and the Manny Lees of the world diving, making plays at second base, and Kelly Gruber hitting home runs at third base. And then you would have Dave Steeb, who probably... Yeah, should if he's not in the Hall of Fame, he should have at least have had a longer debate. And then just a slew of pitchers, whether it's the Tom Hankies or the the Jimmy Keys of the world, they just had amazing depth. David Wells and Todd Stottlemyre, and they couldn't get over the hump. And so after the 1990 season, when they had yet another talented team that couldn't quite make it, they made one of the most daring moves in baseball history. They, they, they did several things. First of all, they let their biggest superstar, George Bell, go. Okay. And then they traded two homegrown keystones, actually one was acquired as a minor leaguer, but two keystones of their team that you look at and you identify as Blue Jays, Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez, and shipped them off to San Diego. And they brought in Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. And chances are, when you think of world championships with the Blue Jays, those are probably two of the first names that come to mind. Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar. Well, they were imported in 1991. They won the division in 91 with the help of Roberto Alomar and his home runoff of Dennis Eckersley. They won their first pennant in 1992. They went on to win the World Series in a really dramatic series against Atlanta. And then, of course, Joe Carter hit the spectacular home run that won the World Series in 1993. And it's funny that Toronto became the team with the best attendance. They were the first team to ever draw four million. It's like, oh, my God, four million? Toronto had a more passionate presence in New York City when I lived there in 1990, 1991, 1992, all those years I lived there, when the Yankees and Mets were terrible, there was a tremendous Dominican population in Toronto. And because so many Dominican players were playing in uh, for the Blue Jays, 
that you saw a lot of people walking around with Toronto hats on. Even Manny Ramirez, who grew up in Washington Heights in Manhattan, he didn't grow up a Yankee fan. He grew up a Toronto fan because he was of he was Dominican. And if you're Dominican, you saw all these players playing for the Blue Jays, so that became your team. They won back-to-back World Series, and began the last year where it was only four divisions, the Blue Jays were not just the world champions. It was a place you went to to win titles. They would import players seeking titles. Dave Winfield came there to win a title. Jack Morris went there to you know, solidify his role as a world champion. Paul Molitor went there to win a title. Ricky Henderson was traded there to win a title. It became a place, Dave Stewart went there when his time with the A's were, well, if I want to win another ring, better go to Toronto. That became a glamour spot. And the Sky Dome was considered this great new facility. Oh my God, it's got a retractable dome. It looks futuristic. It's the future of baseball. And the Blue Jays, in that stretch, became the model organization. And then the strike happened. And they... Had a disappointing 94. The strike happened. Interest in baseball in Canada plummeted. It killed the Expos. And you saw 4 million fans in four straight years. They drew 4 million fans. And then by the year 2000, they couldn't even draw 1.8 million. And year in and year out, they had uh, pretty much what I said with the... uh, the Tigers, just not terrible, just not good enough to do it. And they had something you could point to. So, well, they're in the East. You got the Red Sox and Yankees spending all that money. It's not even fair. It's not even fair. But then the Tampa Bay Rays won the division and said, oh, no, that excuse doesn't work. And it wasn't until 2015 that they got back into the postseason with a truly dynamic team. And they made back-to-back trips to the league championship series. And With a choice hit here or a choice hit there, they probably could have made it to the World Series. They had big, huge, booming home runs by Edwin Encarnacion to walk off the wild card game, and the bat flip heard around the world hit by Jose Bautista, and Josh Donaldson having that insane division series against the Texas Rangers last year. And so there's a lot of years to point to. Now, I don't know, like, I I started thinking about 2015 because that was an out-of-the-blue year that they turned things around, that they had a losing record at the All-Star break, as I mentioned before. The trade for David Price helped turn things around for them. Remember the Tigers? They traded him. That was smart to do then. And seeing the Blue Jays back in the postseason, electrified Toronto. Suddenly, it became a great place to see a ball game again. And you saw the effects. You see the effects not the year it happens, but the year after. As you saw, the attendance went from 2.7 million in 2015 to 3.3 million last year. And that place rocks when it's packed. And they had that really fun... Uh, six-game series with the Kansas City Royals, of which they had a chance to tie the game in the ninth inning of game six, and they came up just short. Had that tying run on third with nobody out, just short. And the players on that team, you had Donaldson, you had Batista, you had Encarnacion, you had 
Price, you had a lot, Estrada, you had a bunch of the players who you associate with this team. And that window of opportunity may have been just that. So they're sub 500 this year and just not looking quite as good. But you know what? That's not the team I'm going to pick. That's not the team I'm going to pick. Nor am I going to pick last year's team. Because, I don't know, they were a wild card team and a fine team at that. They had to walk off. Home run by Encarnacion. They have the walk-off error to clinch the division series. The first time since the... You know, it's the first time a wild-card team got to the ALCS on two clinching walk-off moments. But I'm not going to go there. That wasn't the Blue Jays' time. I am going to go back to that classic era of the Blue Jays. The era that you have... The team that won in 1992 had a ton of classic Blue Jay players like David Wells, like Kelly Gruber, like Manny Lee. All those players are still, Jimmy Key was still there, Tom Henke. You know, there was a lot of the classic players who were there mixed with Joe Carter. And you got to see Dave Winfield win a championship. So in so many ways, that was an ideal Blue Jay team to win. They vanquished the A's who eliminated them in 1989. And they upset the Atlanta Braves, who everyone thought was going to win the World Series, especially after they defeated their nemesis, Jack Morris, in Game 1. And it was a remarkably exciting postseason that featured an extra inning win for the Blue Jays, a come-from-behind win in the top of the ninth of Game 2, a walk-off hit to win Game 3, running out of pitchers in game, the clinching Game 6, having to turn to Mike Timlin to clinch it. So that was an ideal team to win. So which team am I looking at is the one that you regret? Well, the first one you could point to and say it would be 1985. The team that came out of the blue, won 99 games. Pat Gillick, general manager. Bobby Cox, the manager. And you look at the names on that team. You've got your Willie Upshaws, your Damaso Garcias, your Tony Fernandez, your, the outfield of Bell, Mosby, and Barfield. You've got a bunch of classic veterans on that team like Jeff Burroughs like Cliff Johnson, like Buck Martinez, like Al Oliver. Probably could have gone to the Hall of Fame if his career kept going. And the usual suspects that you would expect in the bullpen. You know, Dave Steeb, Doyle Alexander, Jimmy Key, Jim Clancy. You got your Tom Henke was in the uh, bullpen as well. And they had a chance. In fact, they had the pennant winning run at the plate in game six of the ALCS against Kansas City. They were up three games to one on Kansas City, knowing they had games six and seven back at home, and they were f superior in every category to Kansas City in that series. And they lost it. They lost the last three games, and the Royals went on to win the World Series. Is that the team I'm going to pick? No, that's not the team I'm going to pick. Do you know why? Because fuck Bobby Cox. I don't like Bobby Cox. He's a rotten human being. So let's go to the team I'm going to pick, which I did a whole podcast on this team. And I've declared this team the single greatest team I ever saw to fail to make the playoffs. It really came down to two. The 1993 Giants won 103 ball games and had an amazing year from Barry Bonds. Or the Blue Jays team that should have won the 1987 Blue Jays. And I'm going with this team as the team that should have won for Toronto. This team, managed by Jimmy Williams, 1M, I used to jokingly call him Jimmy Williams, had 
the Venn diagram of Blue Jay players from that era who you associate with the team. Ernie Witt, Willie Upshaw, Tony Fernandez, Kelly Gruber, the outfield that I mentioned of Bell, Mosby, and Barfield. Fred McGriff was there. Mullenix was there. Young Cecil Fielder was there. Manny Lee was there. You had veterans like Charlie Moore and Juan Beniquez. And you also had the, their pitching staff. It's so deep. Steve, Key, Clancy. You had a bullpen of Hanky, Icorn, David Wells, Gary Lavelle. Mike Flanagan was acquired. All these, you know, you had all of these players who were part of this team that you thought of as Blue Jays. And they were so, and, and they wound up having the second best record in baseball that year. And you look at the team that they were just, they, their biggest lead they had, they're up by, you know, they, they had a season where that, that American League East that year was at first taken over by the Brewers, then by the Yankees, and then it kind of turned into the, the um, Tigers and the Blue Jays squaring off. And through most of the year, they were up by a game or so or down by a game or so. But then they went on a little bit of a streak where they won... Well, they won uh, seven in a row in early September, and they took over first place and just were, were keeping pace with the Tigers along the way and then put on another win streak. And by September 26, with only, what, only about seven games to play, they got a walk-off hit against Detroit. And they're up by three and a half games. And then they went on an amazing extra inning game, 13 innings, where they lost to Detroit. If they had won that game, they would have been up by four and a half games. But instead, they plummeted, and they didn't win again. They lost that 13-inning game to the Tigers. Then they got swept by the Brewers. Then they lost a walk-off 12th-inning game on the second-to-last game of the season, and they lost the final game one nothing. In that final one, two, three, four, five, six, seven game losing streak that cost them the division on the final day of the season. One, two of them were walk-offs. None of them, like the biggest deficit was three runs. And the last three games were all one-run losses in Detroit. The other teams in the postseason that year were a beleaguered St. Louis Cardinal team, an overachieving Giants team, and a Twins team that was looking around like, wow, I can't even believe we're here. As it turned out, the Twins went on to win the World Series. I've called them the worst world champion I've ever seen. I like that team. I rooted for them. If this Toronto team... Now, granted, and another thing to point out was that Tony Fernandez was arguably the most valuable player on the team. I know the MVP went to George Bell. You could make the point that it was Tony Fernandez. And the fact that Fernandez was lost that last week and they lost every game, I, I know correla correla correlation does not mean causation. I can't even say it. But the fact of the matter, it speaks volumes of his value on the club. That team, with that lineup, 
And that pitching staff would have gone on to win. And they would have won in that great way because it would have been a lot of the players from 85 and a lot of the players associated with them later. And it would have been an exhibition stadium. And I put a lot of weight in winning in the place where it was kind of a weird dump. Yeah, but they won the title that year. And so that team that I didn't really root for, I didn't because I was rooting for the Tigers because I was all into the tradition and all this other crap. But that team, in retrospect, should have won. The outfield of Bell, Mosby, and Barfield should have rings. Dave Steeb was on the team that won the World Series. Was He was hurt. He wasn't on the roster. He should have been a pitcher on that team. Tony Fernandez ultimately was on a Blue Jay World Champion. They reacquired him in 1993. Remember, that's when you acquired players. Players who wanted to win titles went to the Blue Jays. But so much of that team was the Blue Jays, was the team they built from scratch. Now, granted, if they had, they may never have made the trade for Joe Carter. They may never have made the trade for Roberto Almar. Remember, these events don't take place in vacuums. The trade for Carter and Alomar was stemmed from the belief of, well, this group is great, but they're not winning it, so let's shake it up a little. And if they had won in 87, there may have been no need to shake it up. And I think the Cars had a hit song called Shake It Up that came out around 87. I could be wrong. But for those of you keeping score at home, the Blue Jays team that should have won was 1987. All right, so go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Thanks for listening here. Let's start the second half of the season already. This is Sully Baseball. I'll be back next week. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.